Our scripture this morning is Matthew 2, 13 through 23. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all the region who were two years old and under, according to the time that had, he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah. Weeping and loud lamentations, Rachel weeping for her child, she refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard what Archelaus was reigning over Judea in in place of his father, Herod, Herod, he was afraid to go there, and being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophet might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Let's pray. Lord, as we prepare to hear your word, I pray that the Spirit would would focus that word in all of our hearts and all of our spirits like a laser that we might hear from you this morning. We pray that um, Pastor Steve would just be led by your spirit and that he would speak your word and that it would affect us and change our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Kids, what event is coming up? Actually, it starts, I believe, next Sunday. What is it? The Olympics, right. So next Sunday, y'all can bring the, that little picture up. The Olympics begin in London. And so I brought a medal today uh, to kind of represent or illustrate what we're talking about this morning. But these athletes, they're going to go there um, to the Olympics and compete in London, are going there to win something. They're going there to win a medal. Preferably a gold medal, but they're going to win. Now, we turn our attention to the Olympics like once every four years. Honestly, I never watch track, swimming, diving. Well, I watch swimming. I watch Olivia swim all the time. Okay, I'll take that one back real quick. Uh, diving or any of these other things, I don't watch them. You only watch them once every four years, right? Because the Olympics are the big deal for most of these sports. And so for four years, the athletes work hard. They battle, and they fight, and they go through pain and trials. They put their body through essentially suffering to try to win this. For the sake of that medal, for the sake of that winning that gold medal, they're going to endure a lot of hardships. And as I think about that, I'm reminded of what we are to be doing in our life as we consider the challenges that 
come with being a believer, with being a Christian, according to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, we are to be looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We are told by the author of Hebrews to fix our eyes, to look at Jesus, to see and savor Jesus. He is not only our example, he is also our righteousness. He's our only hope to endure the challenges that come with being one with him, being united to him. Now I'm going to come back to this imagery of the Olympics and and to this passage of scripture later. I want to remind us where we're at. We're actually in the second part of a message. I prepared last week's message. It was way too long to get into one service. And so I broke it up into two messages. So this is the second part of a sermon series or a sermon entitled The New in the Old Concealed and the Old is in the New Revealed. And what we're looking at is Matthew chapter 2, the scriptures that Warren read, and seeing how Matthew shows us by quoting Old Testament passages of Scripture, how Jesus is the fulfillment of all the Scriptures, all the Old Testament Scriptures. And so what I want us to do in this series is to see and savor Jesus Christ. I want us to walk through the life of Christ and see what these Gospel writers say about Jesus as we walk through this chronological look at His life. What do they say about Christ and what should we see and what should we savor about Christ's life? I want us to see what the author of Hebrews wants us to see, that that Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith, that he is the the one who endured the cross and despised the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We are to look to that. We are to put our hope there. And that's what this whole series is about. Seeing and savoring Jesus Christ is all about us putting our hope even more in Christ than we ever have before and finding our joy and our fulfillment in Christ more than we ever have before. So this passage of Scripture, Matthew chapter 2, we're early on here in the series, so we're just now still at the beginning of the life of Christ. This passage in Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 23, is right after all the wonderful Christmas card scenes, right? The ones that you have on your on your mantle over your fireplace at Christmas time, you got the, the three wise men, you got the shepherds. But most people don't have Herod slaughtering babies. That one doesn't go on the mantle with the other ones, does it? But it's part of the story because the hallmark scenes all of a sudden turn into horror scenes within one verse, from verse 12 to verse 13. All the fuzzy scenes from the earlier part of the Christmas story now turn into this scene of terror. And we looked at the first two. There's three scenes in this passage of Scripture and three scriptural fulfillments. Last week we looked at the first two. I'm going to remind us of what those are. There's some people here that were not here last week uh, to hear the message. I'm going to remind you of what those first two scenes were and those two fulfillments, but we're going to focus mainly on the third one this morning. But let me remind us real quick here. There are three types of prophetic fulfillment in Scripture. Uh, when we refer to the Old Testament, uh, I mean the New Testament and Jesus' life in particular, fulfilling the Old. There are three particular ways that prophetic fulfillment occurs in the New Testament. There's a direct fulfillment, 
for example, like Micah 5, 2, saying that the Savior would be born in Bethlehem. That's a direct fulfillment. Jesus is born in Bethlehem. Then there's a type of fulfillment that I call a fuller sense fulfillment. There's a fuller sense to the passage, to the, to the prophetic word, than what, what we realize or what they even realized when it would perhaps was even being spoken. For example, when, when Isaiah speaks of the virgin giving birth to a child, there was an immediate fulfillment right there um, in Isaiah's day, but it was also, there was a greater fulfillment speaking forth of the coming of the Messiah that we know. And of course, therefore, Matthew uh, quotes Isaiah seven fourteen when he refers to the virgin birth of Jesus. And then there's also the type of fulfillment that's simply a foreshadowing. And I told y'all last week, for example, like the sacrifices and the priesthood and the temple, those things foreshadow things that were to come and that were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And we have these three scenes here and these three fulfillments and three glorious truths here in this text today. And some of these different types of fulfillments are seen in today's passage. Now let me give us a little bit of a, of a recap here. Scene 1 and fulfillment 1 is, the, is verses 13 through 15. And this is where uh, Moses, I mean Moses... Uh, Joseph is awoken in a dream and he's told to flee to Egypt because Herod is going to come and search for the child to destroy the child. So they get up and they leave and they go to Egypt and they remain there. The scripture tells us that they remain there until the death of Herod. And this was all to fulfill what it said in Hosea 11.1, 1, which is this, out of Egypt I called my son. And so Hosea is referring to the actual historical exodus of the nation of Israel out of Egypt. Yet Matthew says this verse was written about Jesus as well. And so we see in this reference to Jesus uh, being the son called out of Egypt that he is, number one, the new Moses, leading his people out of captivity, delivering them from the captivity of sin. Because all men are enslaved to sin. We need a new Moses to lead us in a spiritual exodus out of the bondage of sin. Scriptures over and over and over again use words like slavery, bondage, and death to refer to our condition prior to being brought to Christ. Therefore, we need a new Moses, a deliverer, to bring us out of our sin and our depravity. As I mentioned earlier between the songs, the depravity of man was on full display this week. And people ask all kinds of questions when a tragedy like this happens. Why is the main question. Why? What's wrong with people? What's wrong with our world? Why do things like this happen? And nobody has the answers. You have the psychologist on TV saying, well, maybe he watched too many violent video games. Or maybe he has some sort of mental imbalance and he watched the second Batman movie and thought it was reality and then you have others on there uh, talking about uh, the social conditions around him. Well, he was from this type of a home or he's this type of a home. But no one's getting to the heart of the matter and I mean the heart of the matter. Man is horribly depraved. And every single human being that's ever been born is capable of the same sin that that man committed. And is not all sin infinitely offensive to an infinitely holy God? So the white lie you told this morning on the way to church is just as offensive to God as that slaughter. Now, there are greater consequences. There's heavier moral weight in, in the world when someone goes into a theater and kills people than if someone tells a white lie. 
But the fact of the matter is it's all from the same source, and that is a depraved heart that rebels against the holy and perfect God. That's what's wrong. That's what's wrong with our world. We also saw in this text here, not only is Jesus the new Moses to deliver us out of our depravity and our sin, he's also the true Israel. Israel was called God's son, but Israel was a disobedient son that strayed from God, went after other gods. But Jesus is the perfect son, the obedient son with whom God is well pleased. Jesus would never stray from his father's will and would live in perfect righteousness. Therefore, Jesus came not only to deliver his people out of their sin as the new Moses, he came to live a life for his people in perfect righteousness on their behalf as the new Israel. So that now all those who are united to Christ, number one, have been set free from the bondage of sin by the new Moses and have been declared righteous and have been grafted into the Israel of God. These stories that Matthew tells are important. Remember, these aren't just stories to fill in the space for Matthew. These are important truths about the nature of Christ and what he accomplished when he came to the earth. Matthew wants us to see and savor these things, and I'm afraid, though. I know, though, because I've been there, that too many of us Christians, we don't like to think deeply about these things. We just like to think, well, okay, yeah, Jesus loves us. He died on the cross for us. And What does it mean that he died on the cross for us? What does that mean? We don't understand. Matthew, if he wanted us just to have this really generic kindergarten level understanding the cross he would have just skipped over these stories now surely we come to the lord with christ with childlike faith but that faith should drive us to the word of god and cause us to look deeper into the word of god so we can understand more fully these things about our savior and so then we see matthew talking about the exodus and talking about israel in this sort of way we go back to the old testament say, okay now i begin to understand these things even better and we eat the word And it nourishes us. But I don't think we like to get into the depth of these things because it goes back to our depravity. It forces us all the way back to the source of the problem. And we really have to look into our own heart because, let's face it, we're all tempted to think we're pretty good. I could never have done what that guy did at that theater. My friends, if it wasn't for the grace of God intervening into your life and that God is restraining evil in this world, God is holding evil down in this world. If he let it go, every day would be like that in every part of this globe. The only reason it's not is God is restraining it by his grace. And the only reason you're not is if you are in Christ, he, not you, he intervened to save you out of your depravity. And now Jesus lived the perfect life on your behalf. These are things we need to think about as we see and savor what Christ came to do. Scene 2 and fulfillment 2 is verse 16 through 18. It says in this section of scripture that, okay, this is kind of parallel to the first scene. That Herod, when he figured out he'd been tricked by the wise man, he gets mad, he gets angry... And he goes and he kills all the male children in Bethlehem in that region that were two years old or under. And this was to fulfill the prophetic word from Jeremiah 31, 15, which says this, A voice was heard in Ramah, 
weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. And the second point we had last week, I might as well bring these points up so we can remember them. Guys, y'all are going to have to do it for me back there. Okay, Jesus came to inaugurate a spiritual exodus. But secondly, the second thing we saw last week was that Jesus came also. Go ahead and go to my next slide there, guys, because this isn't working. In doing so, to put an end to our spiritual exile. This Jeremiah 31, 15 passage was, was a passage spoken, prophesied by Jeremiah about the exile. About the people of Israel being taken, the people of Judah specifically, being taken to Babylon in captivity. And Jeremiah speaks this word about the women, Rachel representing the women of Israel, weeping over their lost children, the children that died in the process, the children that died on the way, the children that died in captivity, the death of the children because of the oppression of these Babylonian invaders. But right after that passage in Jeremiah 31, 15, the prophet tells her to stop weeping because God is bringing a day of restoration, a day of returning out of exile. And we know that Jeremiah had more than just physical exile in mind. Because yes, Israel did return to the promised land, but there was a greater exile, there was a greater separation from God because what the exile represents is a separation from God. There was a worse separation from God than the physical separation of the people of Judah being separated from the temple. And that separation is the separation that sin creates. And so Jeremiah looked forward to the new covenant. We read of that in Jeremiah 31, a new covenant, a day when God would place his spirit within his people. A covenant that could not be broken. A covenant inaugurated by the spilled blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. A covenant that involves union with Christ. A covenant that involves a relationship with the Father that can never be taken away or broken. And Matthew wants us to see and savor Jesus Christ as we look at these texts. He came to deliver his people from the bondage of sin... Give his people his own righteousness and thus bring his people out of separation from God. Jesus came to inaugurate a spiritual exodus and in doing so put an end to spiritual exile. I'm reminded of this song by Charles Wesley. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon aflamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. No condemnation now I dread. Jesus, and all in him is mine. Alive in him my living head. And clothed in righteousness divine. Bold I approach the eternal throne. And claim the crown Through Christ my own. Bold I approach the eternal throne. And claim the crown through Christ my own. This is our new Moses. This is Jesus the new Israel. This is Jesus bringing us out of exile. And so now I come to scene 3 and fulfillment 3. So let's read in verse 19. Let's start in verse 19. Read through verse 23 once again. Matthew chapter 2, verse 19. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, 
he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. So they head back by God's providence. They don't head back to Bethlehem or Jerusalem, which I assume that Mary and Joseph probably would have been going back there because they probably would have assumed, well, he's from the house of David and he's going to be a king. And so he needs to live in either Bethlehem or Jerusalem, right? And so I think that's why they were going to head back in that area. But they're warned in a dream. And of course, Joseph has some good instincts here as well when they hear about Archelaus because his cruelty exceeded his father Herod's cruelty. And thus they head off to Galilee to their hometown. This is the town where Mary and Joseph are from and go to live there. And and Nazareth was under a different reign. It was under one of Herod's other sons, Antipas. And Antipas wasn't nearly as cruel as Archelaus. So we see that God, the God who sets up rulers and who takes rulers down, he sovereignly works out all the details to get his son to Nazareth so that we have fulfillment of this text here of what Matthew says, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Now, I gave you guys homework last week. Do you remember your homework? I gave you homework from up here. I said, find the passage of Scripture that this is from. So, I know Noah did the homework. He came and told me this week. He said, Dad, he gave me the answer, and it was the right answer. So I want to see if anyone else has the, the homework done. Hmm? Richie, did you do it? Young man wasting your time. What are you doing? I'm just joking. Anybody else? Are you just too shy? All right. Nobody has to tell me what it is. Just did you do it? Did anyone look for it? Just nod your heads. Make me feel better. Someone nod their head that they look. All right, Noah, look at me and tell me you did the homework. All right, good. If you do the homework, you will discover that there is no passage of scripture in the old testament that says these words there is no text in the old testament that directly says these things that he will be called a nazarene so this text has been a bit perplexing there's been some debate historically over what prophecy this is referring to now some argue here that matthew is referring to a similar word a nazarite perhaps you're familiar with the nazarite vow that a person could take in the old testament Okay, or even in the New Testament, Paul was under a Nazarite vow at one point. A Nazarite vow, you're setting yourself apart for God and you won't drink wine. You can't touch dead things. You can't cut your hair. All these things. That was a Nazarite vow. And they thought, well, perhaps this is what Matthew was referring to here. But if we look at Jesus' life, first of all, he did drink wine. He touched dead people and they came back alive. He didn't live as a Nazarite. But those people who believe this argue that, well, he was set apart by God. Therefore, he was a different type. Of Nazarite, But I don't really think that that's what Matthew's talking about here. And the, the oldest texts of Matthew do not have the word Nazarite. They have the word Nazarene. Others believe this is a play on words from Isaiah 11 verse 1. Isaiah 11 1 says this. And this is a prophecy about Jesus. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. And a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. So this is a prophecy about Jesus who would come as the branch of Jesse. Or the, he would come as the... From the stump of Jesse as the branch. The word branch in Hebrew is netzer. Matter of fact, it is the root word for the town Nazareth. Okay? 
And so perhaps Matthew here is referring back to Isaiah 11, that Jesus is the branch, and therefore he would be called a Naz- Nazarene. I think that's plausible. I think that's very, very possible. That, that could be what was partially in Matthew's mind. But I think there's another explanation that bears more weight, which is I believe the final fulfillment here is a much broader fulfillment. Remember how I said certain fulfillments were foreshadowing type fulfillments? This is one of those broad fulfillments. It's more like a summary of what the prophets taught about the Messiah and about what the Messiah would have to endure. Notice there's some hints here. You notice earlier he would say like the prophet Jeremiah or what the prophet said. But here he refers to the prophets plural. He says so that what the prophets said. Okay. And also the phrase when it says what was spoken is used in a much more general way here than it is in some of the other texts. So without getting into the the technical um, issues there of the Greek and all of that. All of this sort of conspires together to indicate that. This was not a specific prophecy from the Old Testament, but more of a summary of what the Old Testament prophets said the Christ would go through and endure. The key to understanding what this summary is all about is to understand what it meant to be called a Nazarene. Nazareth was a despised place. It was from a despised region, Galilee. Galilee was up in the north. Okay, It was on the other side of Samaria, but still it was from the northern area of Israel... The northern tribes had fallen before the southern tribe of Judah and Benjamin. The northern tribes had fallen first. And when the northern tribes sort of came back, it came back as a mixed race anyway. And so there was a lot of of people that didn't like people from that area. And uh, so it was a despised region. The people up there were fishermen. They weren't the nobles. They weren't the the good uh, higher up people like they had down there in Jerusalem. Remember how Nathanael reacted in John chapter 1, verse 45, when Philip told him that we found the Messiah? Okay, Philip comes up and says, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. There's another evidence, by the way, right there that all the Old Testament's about Jesus. He says, We have found this guy whom all the Old Testament's about, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, I think that's how you said it. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, maybe you can relate to this. I mean, Heather and I, we lived in Arkansas. And when you tell people you're from Arkansas, sometimes you get that kind of reaction. Arkansas? Really? Okay. Um, you know, they expect you to be playing the banjo or something, you know, sitting around the campfire. You know, something like that at night, you know. You're from Arkansas, but we in Arkansas, we, we thank God for Mississippi, right? Because there's always Mississippi, okay? There's always Mississippi that, you know, well, you know, we're 49th on every list that's negative in the world, except Mississippi's right there at 50 for us. So it'd be kind of like, can anything good come out of Mississippi? It's just this sort of despised, looked down upon, thought poorly of. In John chapter 7, when Nicodemus is chastising the other Pharisees for judging Jesus without a trial, he says, they say to him in a mocking tone, they say, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Galilee was a despised area. They were, they were making fun of Nicodemus for defending Jesus, and the way they made fun of him was to call him a Galilean. 
And it was an insult. It was an insult when the Christians were called a sect of the Nazarenes. That wasn't meant to be a nice thing. You're part of that sect of the Nazarenes. It was a term of derision. The prophets had predicted the Messiah would be rejected and despised. And had the people had eyes to see, to see they would have remembered that in Isaiah 9, verses 1 through 2, that it says that in the later times he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has, has light shone. Had they had eyes to see, they would have seen that the prophets did speak of Jesus coming from Galilee. And that this was a land of great darkness. It was a land of darkness, of deep darkness. It was not where the nobles came from. It was not where the kings came from. It was not where any well-respected Jew would have, would have had the gall to say that the Messiah would come from. It was podunk. It was redneck. It was backwater. It was ignorant. It was scum of the earth. Galilee was despised, and Nazareth especially. So what we see in this general statement that Jesus was to be a Nazarene is a general statement that he was to be hated, he was to be despised, he was to be insulted and scorned. And that's why he came. That's why he came. He was despised and rejected. He would suffer from the moment he was born until the last breath on the cross. Jesus from these very first moments, was already enduring the scorn of the earth on behalf of his people. So I want to complete our statement here. Jesus came to inaugurate a spiritual exodus, and in doing so, put an end to spiritual exile, and he would do so through suffering. He would do so through suffering. The Messiah came to suffer. The Messiah came to be despised. The Messiah came to be spoken badly of, to be hated, to be rejected, to be mistreated, to be slandered. And in doing so, he stood in our place and received the scorn of men and made full identification with his people. From these very first years of his life, from the manger onward, he would suffer for his people. He would be lowly. He would be rejected until he died the most lowly and despicable of deaths possible. Death on a cross. It didn't get any worse than that. So he is, he's born in a stable with the manure and everything else in there. He lives in a despised city and he dies a despised death. That was the life he came to live on behalf of his people. Had the Jews had eyes to see. They would have seen that their own prophets said things like this from Psalm 22. This is a prophetic word about Jesus. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. Isaiah 49, 7. Had the people had eyes to see and ears to hear, they would have heard this. Thus says the Lord... The Redeemer of Israel and His Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nations, the servant of rulers. But no text in all of Scripture sums up the despised and rejected nature of our Savior more than Isaiah 53. So I want to read it to you. Who has believed what He has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of the ground. 
he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. and He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that is before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation. Who considered that he was cut off from the, from the land of the living. Stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death. He was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sins of many. And he makes intercession for the transgressors. Is there any more glorious passage of Scripture in all the Bible? I know of none. Absolutely amazing and glorious to consider these words. Jesus came to inaugurate a spiritual exodus and in doing so put an end to spiritual exile. And he did so through suffering. Do we really understand how our Messiah suffered for us? The creator of the universe coming down to live in creation and then being rejected and hated by the very creatures he loved so much. He came to be a slave, to live on the lowest rung of society's hierarchy. Matthew 20, 28 says that he came not to serve, or not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And Jesus himself said in Mark 9, 12, it is written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt. For my sake, for your sake, he was called a Nazarene. 2 Corinthians 8 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. 1 Peter 3 18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. That he might bring us to God. There's the end of that spiritual exile. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. He will be called a Nazarene. Despicable, weak, foolish, 
deprived of earthly significance or splendor. He was not a man of clout. He was not a man of earthly riches. He was not sitting in the first class of the airplane. He was not elegant or refined and had nothing of beauty that should attract us to him. When we see and savor his glory, it is not earthly glory that we see and savor. He was humble and riding on a donkey. He was the stone that the builders rejected. He was the slave washing feet. And he would die a slave's death between two disgusting criminals. He was called a Nazarene. But there is another implication in Christ's suffering. You see, Christ has identified himself with us. But we also by, by faith now are united to him. And thus we find our identity in him. For we too are weak. 1 Corinthians 1, 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. If you are in Christ this morning, if you belong to him, it is not because of anything in and of yourself. Let us be weak. Recognize your weakness. Let us find our identity solely in him. And therefore, we must also be ready to suffer. We too, if we bear the name of Christ, must be ready to be spoken badly of. We too, if we bear the name of Christ, must be willing to be mistreated. We too, if we bear the name of Christ, must be willing to be slandered, to be made fun of, to be scorned, or worse, physically mistreated or even put to death. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, said Jesus, they will also persecute you. And we've lived in the comfort of America for so long and not experienced any of this. We have forgotten what it says all throughout the New Testament that those who belong to Christ can expect suffering. And I'm actually thankful. Although I'm not thankful that God's word is being scorned in our nation. I want our nation to come back to God. I would love to see a revival. I would love to be part of a great awakening in America once again. But you know what? Sometimes a little scorn and a little ridicule and a little persecution will bring purity to the church that we need before we can actually experience the revival we so desperately desire. And you know what? I'm going to keep eating Chick-fil-A. I'm going to keep eating Chick-fil-A partially because this man who right now is running this company has willingly stood up and said, I'm going to be an idiot to the world. Because I believe what the Bible says about marriage. And therefore, I'm just going to be an idiot to the world. He knew very well, Dan Cathy is a smart man. He runs a business very well. He knew very well when he said, you know what, our company stands up for traditional marriage. He knew he would be labeled a bigot, a homophobe, and everything else. And the world would come after him. And it's happened. It's happened exactly the way he could have predicted it. And we all could have predicted it. You know what? Better than eating Chick-fil-A sandwiches, be willing to do the same thing he did. Maybe you don't like chicken. I don't care. Stand up in the world where the marketplace of ideas says that Christianity 
is an idiotic, foolish, bigoted religion. Stand up and say, I'm going to stand strong, and I'm going to suffer. I'm willing to be spoken badly of. My Savior was spoken badly of. I'm willing to be mistreated and slandered and scorned and even physically mistreated because my Savior was. For to this you have been called, according to the Apostle Peter. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Make sure we're suffering the right way, friends. There's a way to suffer for Jesus and be a jerk. There's a way to suffer for Jesus and be meek and humble. There's a time not to open your mouth and know that he who judges justly is on your side. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed for you were straying like sheep but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Hebrews 13, 12. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. He suffered outside the gate, referring to where he was crucified, on a hill outside of Jerusalem. Not only did he, was he not born in the royal city, not only did he not live in the royal city, he was even crucified outside the gates of the royal city. He was put to death outside the gate, suffered outside the gate therefore let us go to him outside the camp and bear the repro reproach he endured for we have no lasting city but seek the city that is to come the reason we can stand and accept the scorn and in a christ-like way with meekness be willing to suffer scorn on the name of christ is because you know what we have a better kingdom we have a better city we have an inheritance we're looking forward to for the joy set before us we're going to keep on going because it's not about being right. And listen, I'm as tempted as anyone here to really, really get frustrated when the world begins to attack my faith and begin to attack my Savior. I want to contend for the faith. But I also want to be careful not to just be contentious because it feels good to fight. And so we must, with great patience and endurance and wisdom and mercy and grace, meekness, be willing to bear the reproach that he endured because we have no lasting city. We seek a city that is to come. The things of this world, fame, fortune, reputation, a good house, good cars, good standing, the applause of men are nothing to us now, or at least they shouldn't be. We are sojourners. We are exiles, aliens on a journey home. We belong to another realm, to another city, to another kingdom, and we exist now to proclaim him come what may. Our job now is simply to proclaim the gospel, come what may. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. So they persecuted the prophets who were before you. For he was crucified in weakness, Paul says. But lives by the power of God. So for we also are weak in him. But in dealing with you 
we will live with him by the power of God. Philippians 2.5, another one of my, Philippians 2, Philippians in general. Philippians 2, one of the most fantastic passages about Christ that you can read. And Paul tells us to have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He became a slave, obedient to the point of death. Let us become slaves for Christ. Let us be meek and humble and slave-like in our attitude in this world. Christianity is not about comfort. It's not about um, making ourselves feel better or psychology or anything like that. Christianity is about conflict. There is a war going on. We are aliens and strangers, misfits in this world that gets more and more corrupt every day. One of the commentators on one of the news channels said, when are these shootings going to stop? And my response was, they won't stop. Because the world continues to be corrupted more and more and more. And so our job is to proclaim the gospel and pray that the New Moses will lead more and more people out of spiritual slavery. We have overcome the world. We are not of the world. We have overcome the world. We are in him. We are his. He is ours. We have been promised an inheritance, an incorruptible, unfading inheritance that awaits us. Hebrews eleven sixteen says we desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. God, our God, has prepared for us a city. Therefore, we imitate our Savior who is willing to be scorned, willing to endure shame. Hebrews eleven two says, looking to Jesus, this passage we already read, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. He was called a Nazarene. The question is, will you be called a Nazarene? Am I willing to be called a Nazarene? That's the question for us. There's the application. Are you willing to be called a Nazarene? A kook, weirdo, crazy person, bigot, homophobe, are you willing to be called a Nazarene? This is the gospel, my friends. The gospel requires sacrifice, required a cross to be taken up. And to believe in the gospel requires sacrifice, and it requires a cross to be taken up. Will you take up your cross and follow him? Jesus came to inaugurate a spiritual exodus and in doing so put an end to spiritual exile and he did it through suffering. So come, let's put our faith in him. Repent of your sins. Come to him to set you free from the tyrannical slavery of sin. Trust in him to be all that you couldn't be, to be your righteousness. And all of this he did on the cross 
for you if you'll place your trust in him. And thus, if you put your faith in him, and by his grace, your sins will be forgiven. His righteousness will be imputed to you, be given to you, and you'll be brought out of spiritual exile, out of your separation to, from God, and you will be reconciled to God, and you'll be restored to your creator. And guess what? You may suffer. Wait, pastor, you can't end a gospel presentation with that. You've got to end it with your best life now, right? Jesus did all this, and so your best life now. Mm-mm. Nope. That, the message is incomplete. Matter of fact, it's false if we go there. Scriptures don't leave room for that. Will you have joy? Will you have an abiding peace? Will you have a type of comfort that the world can't give you through any other sort of means? Absolutely. Because the presence of the Holy Spirit will be within you. He is your comforter. But my friends, it might also mean that you lose friends. Property. And in many parts of the world, as we speak, life. Will you be called a Nazarene? I tell you what, fix your eyes on Jesus. <laughs> fix your eyes on that eternal blessing. Fix your eyes on that country to come. That's how you get through the suffering. That's how I think through things. When I, I really honestly, when I think about how quickly, where we are with certain social issues, specifically the issue of homosexuality, we are at a place now that I thought we wouldn't be for another 20 years. And so it's happening so rapidly. I honestly believe that persecution could happen within our lifetime in this country in a very serious way. When you're seeing pastors already being put in jail across the border to the country north of us, it's not far from us. It's coming. It's coming. And my big, one of the things that my heart aches right now with the church in the United States is we've become so accustomed to just giving our parishioners, our members, what they want. I want to meet your felt need, this or that. And what do you want? You want that? Okay, let's go this way. And every pastor is tempted to do it. What I'm worried about is that there's these big churches out there. And now, 50, the latest poll I saw, 56% of Americans have no problem with gay marriage. No problem. And you've got churches that are filled. 10,000 people? I can guarantee you half those people have no problem with gay marriage too. The pressure's coming on the pastors. And you're already beginning to see some pastors begin to equivocate just a little bit on this issue. You know, that time of refining is coming. It's coming. So the question is, that goes through my mind sometimes, is are my, ki- my kids willing to have a dad in jail for a while? John Bunyan spent a long time in jail because he refused to give up on his convictions about the gospel. Of course, God used his time in jail very productively. We got Pilgrim's Progress out of it. We've got to keep our eye on the prize, on the heavenly city, 
We, we're citizens of that city. The laws that get imposed upon us here, laws that say you can't do this and you can't do that, that go against the, 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 the truths of Scripture, those laws come underneath the laws of the country that we're going to. And therefore we're willing to be scorned and we're willing to be called Nazarenes. So my prayer for us this morning is let's ask the Lord to give us new resolve. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus and let's leave this place today being willing to be called Nazarenes. No, we're not going to become the Nazarene church, right? Don't mean that. But being willing to be scorned, rejected, and despised. Bow our heads and close our eyes. Lord Jesus, I can only hope that your word bears fruit. As I muddled through my thoughts and notes this morning, Lord, I could just ask you, Lord, to take my foolishness out of the ears of those that are here. Just as you have to open ears for people to hear your word, I know you can close ears to my mistakes and my foolishness. And, and that your word would just go forth with purity and with truth. And, and God, that you would do a work in our hearts. And if there be anything good that was said today from the pulpit, Lord, it's only you. And Lord, I repent of the mistakes that I've made as I've delivered and given the sermon today. But God, I pray that your word would go forth and would empower us to be Nazarenes. God, empower us to be willing to be called dumb. Because our belief and our faith doesn't line up with the corrupt, depraved wisdom of this world. Let us be willing to be called weirdos because we stand up and we believe that life is a precious gift from you and it is therefore to be treated with tremendous care and sacred honor. It is not to be thrown away. Let us speak up as loudly at the abortion clinics as we do outside of theaters where people have been slaughtered. Oh, Lord, I pray that you turn our nation around 24-7. We're talking about 12 people being killed, and it was horrible. It was horrible. There will be hundreds killed today that won't get any news coverage in little clinics around the country. And we go home and we're disturbed and we read about this guy and his crazy, what was he doing? He thought he was the Joker. And we, we fix our minds on these things and we just forget about the baby that is screaming as the scalpel removes his arm but doesn't have a voice. So God, help us to be Nazarenes. We are not from this world. We are not from the upper echelon, the wisdom of this world, the Jerusalems of this world. We are from the despised corner of Galilee. And that's where our Savior is from. Oh, Jesus, thank you that you are a Nazarene. Because I'm too much of a worm to deserve any salvation. But you came all the way down as a worm. Your words, Lord. As a slave to save me. And a slave to save those who are on the lowest rung of society. God.
forgive us of our pride and our arrogance and our foolishness. Help us to be Nazarenes. Help us to stand up for the truth with our families, with our friends in the workplace, in the community, and not be scared of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation for every single human being on this planet. I believe that. And when we preach the gospel, and we go out and proclaim the gospel, and we share the gospel, and we give people tracks with the gospel on it, and we share the gospel with a hurting mom, and we do these things, and we speak these words, there is a power in the gospel that's a, a regenerative, regenerative type of power that makes hearts new. And that's where our hope is. So God, let us be fools for the gospel this week. As we go out, let us be Nazarenes. So now as we respond in the giving of our offering, in the giving of our tithes, in the bringing of our prayer requests, and singing of a song, Lord, be magnified and glorified in all that we do. We ask this in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus of Nazareth. Amen.